Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, along with Ted Cahill, talking college baseball in 2016. And, uh, Teddy, I missed the last college podcast. Trusted to win okay without me. I think that might be the first Baseball America college podcast without me in eight years. And we're, this is a ninth year of Baseball America's podcast. We started these back in six in the fall, but aught seven for so the, the college podcast was almost old by the time when you interned here in the spring of 11. So this is a this is a tradition kind of unlike any other in podcasting. So, you know, welcome to it. And uh, I, I trust that it went well without me last week. Yeah, I mean, I guess we were podcasting before it was cool here at Baseball America. That's right. I probably didn't even know what a podcast was when you guys started podcasting. That was back in your rap days, but uh, <laughs> which are better left unsaid. But we did uh, our first podcast, as veteran BA podcast listeners know, was in a J.J. Cooper's church. And, of course, eight minutes into it, I just started pacing around with my wireless mic and couldn't be stopped. But um, me and Will Lingo, I think the last five minutes we talked uh, Project Runway more than we talked anything else. So we used to try to be like a little bit lighter, and then we realized that's not a Baseball America. So... We'll drill down deep, and we will drill down deep in this college podcast. We'll take some of your questions at Twitter. I'm at John Manuel BA. He's at Ted Cahill. And you can also uh, post us on our Facebook page. We're going to try to make a little bit more use of that this year when we podcast. Where we be, uh, keep it on the interactive tip. Maybe one of these days we'll take questions on Snapchat, but those days are not today. Let's um, get Manana in here for that. Exactly. Even though I've been told by one member of the staff that the me- I was made for that medium, which was I can't tell if it was a compliment or an insult. I took it as the latter, um, even though I think it was intended as the former. Um, but we want to talk All-America team today, but also, just Teddy, we want to talk a little bit about you. Uh, you're our All-America this year. Uh, we'll put that on you. Um, we've had some some great people cover college baseball, Baseball America over the years, from Jim Callis, from Alan Simpson to Jim Callis, to me, to Will <laughs> Kimmy, to Aaron Fitt. Last year, Jim Schoder, Mike Lanana, still covering a lot of college baseball this year. But um, what made you uh, want to be our college baseball guy? What what about the sport attracted you uh, back to Baseball America and, and made you want to be our latex salesman? Well, I uh, grew up in Ohio, where college baseball uh, is not that not that big of a deal. Uh, but then when I went to college, uh, I started. You know, I, I always loved baseball, and I went to college and. I wanted to cover baseball at Ball State because I just wanted to keep covering baseball. And uh, I really, really enjoyed covering baseball there. And I interned here and I enjoyed covering college baseball in the spring. It was a good thing I came down in the spring and I was able to do a lot of college stuff. You were here for a good year, too. I mean, I was a North Carolina team in Chapel Hill that year in 2011. That was uh, kind of a uh, resurgent. They had not gone to Omaha the year before with Matt Harvey. Then in 2011, they did. It was a big college baseball year, defending champion South Carolina, holding serve, first year of the new ballpark, first year of the new bats, um, a lot of bunting. I remember a lot of hashtag bunting is awful. So if you're a West Coast baseball fan who loves bunting, <laughs> just, I'm just going to let you know, you might get into it with Teddy on the Twitter. It's not, I, uh, it's not your favorite tool in the, uh, 
in the arsenal of the manager. Yeah, that was that was the new bats, and it was bad. It was um, bad that year. I uh, at Ball State, if you don't know, and you probably don't, it's a <laughs> bit of a bit of a hitter's park to begin with, and the teams there. Uh, those first couple of years were, they had a bunch of mashers. And so I went from... The Colburn Vidic era, as it were. Yeah. I, w- I went from seeing Ball State go crazy, you know, offense, and, and they did run a lot. There was not so much on the bunning. There was a lot of a lot of Earl Weaver baseball, which is what I believe in myself, I guess, anyway. Um, and then that year, with the new bats, it was, everyone was bunning everyone. And looking back, I understand why it was happening. But at the time, it was... It was very uh, maddening. And I have gone over uh, some of my hatred of the sacrifice bunt, but the other thing is that that has uh, kind of, it hasn't left the game, obviously, but the, the new balls and... Thank God. <laughs> college coaches, having made an adjustment, it is, uh, it is not as bad as it was that year. But that year, 2011, not only was Carolina you know, good and, and a World Series team, but they hosted a Super, and Stanford comes in with a oh, hell. Yeah. And that was that was great. And see. Austin Wilson, yeah. Brian Regeer, that team was uh, thought to be loaded, and it was somewhat. That was also the Tyler Gaffney, uh, like provocateur super regional team, was it not? Like I seem to recall the folks in Chapel Hill couldn't stand Stanford outfielder Tyler Gaffney. That that sounds right. I remember that also because it had a massive rain delay, and right before <laughs> yeah. Carolina was about to to trip to the World Series in like the eighth inning. Uh, rain just poured for like two hours i left the stadium in fact because i i could tell that it was going to take so long and i i came back you know when the when the rain delay ended but it was it was a very long rain delay at a very inopportune time it was it was an opportune time for us that we had you there and uh we're fortunate to have you back and you know we've got really it's unprecedented baseball america to have as many people covering the sport and as many people here interested in the game and uh Thankfully, uh, you know the sport has grown to the point where it's easy to find people who love college baseball. But uh, uh, I know we have a lot of uh, interest here, and I know that you're going to do a great job. I've already seen the job you've done, just in organizing our stuff, marshalling our those forces, and getting us pointing in the right direction. And um, I'm excited about it, and uh, I just want to make sure people know um, that college baseball coverage at Baseball America is in really good hands right now. So. Um, you organized our preseason All America balloting, as usual. Scouting directors for the thirty major league clubs participated. Uh, had great cooperation again from those guys, and cannot um, say more about how uh, that sets us apart. And I love our preseason All America team for that reason. And tell you the vibe I got in reporting on it and writing the capsules for it, and that's what we want to kind of focus on today was that this is a pretty good group of all America for the All-America team, but that college baseball, the parity that we've seen at the team level, where we've had three te- years in a row, we're first-time college series champions. So that level of parity we're seeing nationally, um, we're seeing that in terms of players as well. We're, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have that star standout player. We have a wide range of very good players with not a lot of distinction between them. But the thing, the thing that breaks that storyline is the clusters of teams with multiple All-Americans. What's the, that kind of, I guess, really stands out the most to me. This is quite the clumping of All-Americans to have three teams, right, with four or more players who are on the All-America team. Yeah, there are uh, 
So there are 42 All-Americans on our, across the three teams, 25, team, 25 schools represented. But yeah, like you said, uh, three teams with four or more, Florida and Vanderbilt leading it with five, Louisville with four. But three first-team All-Americans. Yeah, three first-team All-Americans for both Florida and Louisville, and, um, they, and, and none for Vanderbilt. Despite having five on the team, it, it, it just is a little strange that way. It is that 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 did strike me as odd, but you know this is a different Vanderbilt team, obviously, and uh, it kind of I guess it makes it should it should be it would be very unusual to have a team lose three first round picks and the next year have first team preseason All Americans. Yeah, they had so. three first team preseason All Americans last year. They are all turned into first round picks. Dansby Swanson and Carson Fulmer go in the top ten, and Walker Bueller a little later, and obviously they have all moved on to pro ball now. Um, so let's start with the first team, and, and we're on the we're on those uh, the multiple uh, pick team, uh, you know, the teams that have multiple preseason and first team All Americans. Let's let's start with our number two and number one teams, Florida and Louisville. Florida one, Louisville two. No surprise that Florida had. I mean, we saw four Gators on last summer's USA College Baseball uh, College National Team. Three of those guys make the first team. JJ Schwartz makes the second team. Logan Shore, A.J. Puck on the pitchers, Buddy Reed um, in the first-team outfield. I guess none of those guys is really a surprise. A.J. Puck it seems like the natural place to start. If you were taking odds, A.J. Puck or the field of first college player drafted, would you bet on the field or would you bet on A.J. Puck? That's a, that's a tough one. The field is uh, enticing because it is the field. But- right. AJ Puck is number one on our College 100 right now, and you know we don't have a mock draft because that's kind of insane in January. But, right. Uh, he's definitely in the mix at one, and if not one, then at two probably. So I mean, he uh, if he goes out and performs this year, especially the way he did down the the stretch last year. I mean, it's going to be hard for him not to be that first college player taken. I think my money would go on A.J. Puck because I think he really has to lose it. Now, he has done things in the past that if he did them in the future, he would lose it. <laughs> the, the climbing the construction crane that got him, whether it was a disorderly conduct uh, arrest, uh, it was a yeah. misdemeanor, but... Criminal trespass. Criminal trespass. That's what it was. When you talked to him, you reported on it in your cover story on the Gators in the college preview issue. So he's done things in the past that would cause him to lose it. But the things that cause him to be in that conversation are not going to change. He's 6'7". <laughs> you know, he's big bodied. It's not bad bodied. It looks like he's maintaining his body. He's going to work to maintain. He has to work to maintain that body. When you talk to scouting directors, and I'm, I'm sure you ran into this last summer. You were at virtually every USA Baseball college national team game last summer. I was. Out of the 17, you went to, I think you went to all 17. Um, so you saw a lot of these guys. Uh, you saw a lot of whipping and nay-naying from, from Buddy Reed and Corey Ray. But A.J. Puck, you saw wide hips, and those, those pants were not flattering to A.J. Puck. He needs pinstripes. Uh, he needs the black Vanderbilt pinstripes, really, for that, for that kind of pear-shaped body. But that stuff's not going to change. As long as he's still throwing hard, left-handed, downhill, with the secondary stuff flashing at the very least average, if not above average, of the slider and the changeup. Those things, as long as those those elements are in place and this guy's healthy, 
he's going to be the first college player drafted, I think. I think he checks more boxes. Someone else is going to have to have a monster year to steam past him. Because I, I, I think outside of just utterly uh, an utter failure on the field, I think he's going to be the first guy. Because he, he just checks the most boxes. There's nobody else, I don't think, in college baseball who checks as many boxes as he, as he does. Is there somebody else? Who, who, in your mind, is most likely to pass him? If you had to pick one or two guys, who has that package that they could pass him? Well, Alec Hansen, another first-team All-American. Good call. Number two on the College 100 list uh, is, like, the next guy. Um, and he, as much as A.J. Puck looks like a first, you know, first overall pick on a guy, Alec Hansen has a lot of the same traits. Good point. He's right-handed, not left-handed. And his stats, like, statistically, he has not performed the way A.J. Puck has. And that's, that's the main thing going against him, in addition to some injury concerns he's never been cut on or anything but there have been times in the past where he hasn't been able to to take the ball um in his senior year of high school and this fall yep. and this fall he i it's hard to know they say he would have taken the ball if it had been the spring and i'm sure he would have but you know it was the fall so they, exactly yeah but it's still it's still that nagging so that nagging doubt yeah. about his health I think, but i think it's important that you noted that he's not been cut on yeah, he has not had. He had forearm soreness as a high school senior, but he didn't have an operation. He's never had Tommy John. He had some soreness in the fall, but again, nothing really significant. He, he's never really missed significant time in college in the spring. Upside wise, I think you're right. Alec Hansen checks as many, if not more, boxes than AJ Puck in terms of upside. His track record is not quite as deep, not quite as long. Yeah, he uh, he throws a hundred. Uh, Puck has not hit a hundred as a left-hander. You don't really expect that or, or look for that, but but Hanson has does have that triple-digit ability. Uh, it, it'll just be interesting to see how they both go out and, and pitch this spring. Uh, we know that Puck is not going to be Florida's Friday night starter, and I don't think Hanson is uh, slated to be Oklahoma. I thought said that's the other common threat with those two guys with Elliott at Oklahoma and Shore at Florida. You could very well have the two most likely candidates, certainly two guys, college pitchers who, Teddy, those guys would have fit at the top of last year's college pitcher class. I think very comfortably at the front of last year's college pitcher class. I think those two guys, outside of a healthy Michael Machuela, if we'd had a healthy Michael Machuela last year, he would have been at the front of that list last year. We didn't. These two guys have much healthier track records than Machuela, and... Check all the same. Hanson kind of has a lot of similarities in some ways. On the surface to Machuela, similar kind of size, is actually bigger. Throws as hard. I don't think he has the advanced secondary stuff that Machuela had flashed in the past, but much, much cleaner bill of health. Um, I think he's the right call, actually, of the guy who's most likely to, if he puts it all together, he's a guy who could break through. And I will throw in, because I am me, Colorado Prep, Background. Love the Colorado prep background for pitchers. Marco Gonzalez and Kyle Freeland trying to ruin that. Um, note to Marco and Kyle, pick it up, guys. you got to live up to the Colorado prep uh, uh, history here. But uh, Alec Hansen could be the next uh, in that group. Uh, absolutely. Um, and is there a position player? Do you think one of the position players could break through past him? It seems like the history says that you have a lot of clubs – that if push comes to shove, they would rather take a college bat at the top of the draft than a college arm, see the Chicago Cubs the last couple of years, even when they've needed pitching, taking Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, 
Ian Happ at the top of the draft and uh, being rewarded for it. So are, are there position players who could break past uh, Puck? Well, I guess the, the problem with that is that the best position players in this class are outfielders. And in the last 10 years, we've had 59 college outfielders chosen in the first two rounds. Uh, only one of those, Dustin Ackley, 2009, has been a top five pick. Listen to this guy. That's awesome. That's great. I did not know that. So that's the kind of history they're fighting against is that uh, you know, college outfield, you've you got to be a center fielder and you've got to be a no-doubt center fielder, Dustin Ackley, maybe, maybe, maybe Dustin Ackley's proving that that isn't the case, but you know, the, the directors, they want premium positions. They want shortstops, they want catchers, they want pitchers, starting pitchers, at the top of their draft because they can find guys right. elsewhere. So this year, with the glut of outfielders, that's working against them, history's working against them. But if it is a guy, it's, it's Corey Ray is the top guy right now. He's maybe a little safer, and it might be a little harder for him to break through because the questions that he has are going to be difficult to answer. Primarily, he's not expected to play center field for Louisville this right. year. He's got the speed for it. He theoretically has the defense for it, but he's not expected to play it for Louisville, so it's going to be hard for him to answer that question. Whereas Buddy Reed, um, who's probably the, the next guy there at Florida, um, the, he's, he's rawer than, than Ray and then most of the other college, elite college position players you see at the top of drafts. But if he is able to turn that around, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be easier for him to prove his, his questions. If he hits... If he cuts down on strikeouts, if he keeps running and defending and improving as a his instincts as a baseball player, as he gets more time, he was a multi-sport athlete in high school, exceptional hockey player and very soccer. good soccer player yep. as well. So it, as as he gets more time on the baseball field, he should continue to improve, and that's kind of what people are banking on. Uh, and if he is able to answer some of those questions, potentially that's a dude in a uniform looks the way it's supposed to look. I got, I got an 80-body comp on him the other day from a... I mean, not comp, grade. An 80-body grade from a scouting director the other day on Buddy Reed. And the scouting director said, I, I don't like to throw 80s, but his body is exactly what we want in a body. You're playing right into a column I actually wrote in February 2012, Teddy, because um, Pat Burrell had retired that year. And Pat Burrell, number one overall pick in 1998... One of the all-time great hitters in college baseball history. People, I think, forget in 1996, uh, before Robbie Morrison gave up that home run to Warren Morris, Pat Burrell was getting ready to have to finish basically what would have been like the greatest year in the history of college baseball. He had 484 as a freshman, 484 <laughs> with power, and he was going to be the MVP, the most outstanding player of the College World Series, if Miami won it. Obviously, he didn't. Um, but so that so so he had just retired. So the column that I wrote was actually pegged to uh, Adam Brett Walker and Victor Roach about the college corner outfielder conundrum, and the list of college outfielders, guys who played outfield in college and become big league outfielders. That list at that time was very small. Jason Bay, Ryan Ludwig, Carlos Quentin, John Manuel, all-time cheese ball, Nolan Reimold, and the best of the group, Hunter Pence. Um, and Hunter Pence was a supplemental first-round pick of the Astros, I believe, in 2004, same year they drafted Ben Zobrist. Pretty good draft, right? You, bas- yeah. you draft Hunter yeah. Pence and Ben Zobrist? Of course those guys got fired that year. They, changed, they cleaned house at the top of the Astros draft class. Isn't that the way that a draft – that's just the way these things happen 
So you go back 20, 30 years, like in the early 80s, Teddy, it happened a lot more often. The college outfielders who were high drafts and became big league regulars, that group was pretty good. Albert Bell, Joe Carter, Tim Salmon, Kevin McReynolds, of course, Bo Jackson, Greg Vaughn, Dave Winfield before that. So college baseball is just attracting fewer of those kind of players, I guess, or there's developing fewer of them, whether it's Kevin McReynolds or whoever. I mean, Kevin McReynolds, you know, Johnny Gomes is a college outfielder who played the big leagues for a decent amount of time. You have Alan Craig, who was a college infielder, but then also played some outfield later in his Cal career. Um, but for the most part, big league outfielders are international, high school drafts, or if they're college players, they're like Ryan Braun, college infielder, moves to the outfield. Pat Burrell was Alex like that. Gordon. Alex Gordon, perfect example. So, again, like that on that team, you're talking a junior college guy, Low Kane, uh, in center field, international, high school draft from Puerto Rico, Alex Rios, Alex Gordon. They illustrate it perfectly. Um, you know, the Giants over the years have been very similar. But, again, Pence is that exception that kind of proves this rule. So um, the college outfielders in the big leagues who are there, for the most part, are guys you can defend, too. Curtis Granderson played a lot of center field early career. Brett Gardner, Jacoby Ellsbury, Matt Joyce was a Division II guy. Was a really good defensive right fielder. So Corey Ray's a tough fit there. Buddy Reed makes more sense. I think he's further away with the bat, but if that guy has a big year, if he takes that step forward, I'm right there with you. Um, but, but it's a great point. This The strength of this class on the hitters is the outfielders, and that's a tough group to push through at the top of the draft. I, I love how you phrase that. and uh, That's a great tidbit there. And, of course, Dustin Ackley played mostly first base in college, but he did play, yeah. I think, six, seven games that year in the outfield and was drafted originally announced as an outfielder. Then, of course, they converted him to second base. So. That is how And I, he's a miss. That is how I uh, did that research, was looking at where they were announced, yeah. not not about where they played or what position they are in the big leagues or, or whatever. It's where, where they right. were announced. But outfield is deep. First team All-America outfielders, Ray, Reed, Kyle Lewis. Kyle Lewis, again, a volatile stock if you're looking at him for the draft. Uh, he is, the way I wrote him up, basically, Kyle Lewis looks like Andre Dawson. He's not Andre Dawson. He does not have Andre Dawson's athleticism and speed. He does have super wide shoulders and a super narrow waist, kind of like Buddy Reed. And they're both listed 6'4", 210. But Kyle Lewis does not have Buddy Reed's speed. In fact, some of the scouts I talked to have him as just flat-out below-average runner. And I think the way I put it with one guy, I didn't write it this way. I don't think I had room. But I kept asking the question. Victor Roach, Adam Brett Walker were highly touted college outfielders in that same geographic footprint. From mid-majors. Mid-majors, Georgia Southern for Victor Roach. Adam Brett Walker, Jacksonville, Kyle Lewis at Mercer. This is, that's the reason I asked the question. So there's these three corner college bats, and the the differences I got from the scouts I talked to were, A, Lewis is a little bit better field to hit than both those guys. B, he has more bat speed. C, he's a better athlete. But just how good of an athlete? That's going to be really scrutinized this year for Kyle Lewis. So, And the way one guy put it, and he was kind of talking off the head, top of his head, so it wasn't like bearing down looking in their reports. But he just said, just you know, as I'm talk, as we're talking this out, in my mind, Victor Roach is like a 40 athlete. Adam Brett Walker is about a 40 or a 45. Kyle Lewis is a 50. So like, is he fast twitch? No, but is he a solid athlete? Yeah, he is. So he's not a stiff right-handed hitter who's going to be susceptible 
to he's going to be vulnerable to breaking balls. He's not going to be susceptible. And I, you know, last year he led the Southern Conference in hitting, and uh, so I think there's some hit ability there, but I still think he's power over hit. I mean, you want to talk, we mentioned with, with Ray and with Reed, how Reed, it's going to be easier for him to answer his questions. I, it's going to be hardest for Lewis. Correct. He's playing in the SoCon, which is a nice conference. Mercer has produced big leaguers. There are big leaguers that come out of that conference, absolutely. But it is going to be looked at differently than what Ray is doing in the ACC. No and doubt. What Reed is doing in the SEC. It's just going to be hard for him. And their schedule... You know, it's a good schedule for Mercer. It's solid. I'm sure it'll be good for RPI because they got Radford on there, which had a big year last year. Good program. But Radford, Xavier, these are the weekend non-conference, Austin P. And then they get into SoCon, College Charleston. Isn't that SoCon? I get mixed up. This actually doesn't have a star next to it, so it must not be conference. Um, no, College Charleston is in the uh, CAA now for basketball, aren't they? They're in the CAA. So I'm wrong about that. But So at College of Charleston, and that's probably a series that one of us needs to go to. March 11 to the 13, we probably need to go check out Kyle Lewis. We get um, Kyle Lewis coming up uh, this At the end of the year. We do. We get him at the end of the year at UNC Greensboro. I remember that one. Uh, I'm not going to Cullowee, <laughs> Western Carolina. No offense, Bob Miranda, but I ain't going to Cullowee. Um, that's far. Um, but the SOCON, it's not like this is a year where Samford has – Guys, you want to draft like uh, Philip Irvin and, and CK Irby way up high. And, and the other thing, it, it's just not a loaded league in terms of pitchers. Yeah, or it's Kennesaw. not been a pitching conference that much uh, to begin with. Kennesaw on the A yeah, side. That's right. They, they play them. Yeah, that's a that's a three game, uh, but that's non conference. Right. They and they do play them for three, but it's a non conference series. So it's just going to be hard. He has the most to prove in some ways and the least opportunity to prove it. And he's already he was the SoCon Player of the Year last year. So they, I mean, they didn't Great bear point. down on him last year, but he already posted that kind of year against these pitchers. And then he went out and he continued to hit pretty well in the case. But, you know, it, this spring, he's already raked against SoCon pitching. He's going to have to do it again. But even if he were to hit 400, it would not answer questions in the way that scout, scouts and scouting directors really would want. I agree. No, I, I totally agree. And uh, the depth of that outfield class is pretty good. I don't we, we, can, we probably shouldn't drill down this far in every position because we're already going long. But Nick Banks, Brian Reynolds, Ryan Bolt, that's a great college All-America second team. Would it shock you if Brian Reynolds was the SEC Player of the Year this year? No, and it wouldn't shock me if Nick Banks was. Uh, you know, that he's another he's another very fine uh, outfielder in the SEC. There. I mean, the, the, the all-preseason SEC team, were we to do it, of Banks... Reed and Reynolds, that, that's a great outfield. That's a great outfield. And if Nick Banks starts turning on balls, if he shows scouts he can turn and burn, take an inside pitch, pull it with authority, that guy's going to shoot toward the top of this college outfield class. Just as well, that's really the only thing that's not. When, when I talk to scouts about Nick Banks, that's the number one thing they all mention. Yes, they know he can use the whole field. They want to see him pull the ball, and they want to see him pull the ball with authority and contact rate. That's the other question with, with Nick Banks. But um, and then third team, Jake Fraley, Stephen Wren, Jaron Kendall. Again, that's three that, more great SEC outfield. It, it is, and there's some there's some real speed there. I mean, that's college baseball speed players stick out like a sore thumb. The college baseball players who can hit, who have speed, those guys. I mean, again, local. I'm, I'm being a little provincial here, but Trey Turner and Dustin Ackley always stood out for that aspect. Ackley didn't really steal a lot of bases. Trey Turner did, but those guys. When you see those kind of guys, and, I, and Stephen Wren's kind of been a pick to click of mine 
for three years. I mean, in high school, I th- I just remember talking to scouts, and he just sounded better than Josh Hart at the time to me. And obviously, Wren went to Georgia. I think Stephen Wren, first and foremost on his mind, is for him and Robert Tyler to help Coach Scott Strickland turn that team around and get the get the Bulldogs over the hump and into a regional. But number two is, uh, you know, taking that college experience into parlaying into a high draft pick. I think he has a chance to do that. Um, in your mind, Teddy, what's the next deepest position? Where do you like it after outfield? Or, or is there not another one that really stands out for you? Well, the outfielders kind of overshadow a lot. I think maybe next deepest, um, either the, the catching on these All-America teams is good, and college catching as a whole is never all that great. Right. Pro teams go out and sign those kids. But That's my answer. Collins and Schwarz this year, That's those are three pretty good uh, catchers. Schwarz obviously not eligible this year, but um, th- those are – the catching side of it, with all three of them, there, there's a lot of room for improvement, but they, they all can hit. Those two guys, especially Oki and, and Collins, that are draft eligible, they're offense-first catchers. I, I don't think we thought that was going to be the case with Chris Oki. No. You know, I mean, I, the comps for him out of high school were like Jason Kendall, Jonathan Lucroy. I mean, because he's not a, you know, he's 5'11". He's not overly, he's not like J.J. Schwartz. J.J. Schwartz is... A masher, but also fairly. I mean, he's got to be a twenty runner. JJ Schwartz. Yeah. He's like a seven four sixty runner. He's he's slow. I he take a my base clogger for sure. I take my chances. That's the only college baseball player who's good. <laughs> but I would take my chances in, in a in a foot race. I think I'd get dusted, but I would take my chances with JJ Schwartz. He's the only one. But uh, Collins and Oki have kind of become two sides of the same coin. Thank goodness. One big change in the college baseball America team is, you know. A couple. It seems like the last few years, the preseason All America catcher or whatever would be like somebody with eight home runs or four home runs. Both these guys double digit home runs in their past. Um, and Oki went from four to twelve with the new balls. He's got a new coach there with Monty Lee at Clemson. Um, you know this Clemson team uh, rallied late last year to get into regionals, and then you know Teddy, this is going to be kind of like a what would Clemson be kind of year because they lost some recruits when they lost. Uh, Jack Leggett, uh, I still think Monty Lee is going to be a really strong hire and going to do a good job at that program. I have high regard for Jack Leggett. I have high regard for Monty Lee. But Chris, Chris Oakey might be the guy who kind of suffers the most in a way because I wonder how many pitches he's going to really get to hit on that Clemson team this year. Well, the the questions I have about Clemson coming in are more about the pitching. Um, you know, you lose Matt Crown over ACC Pitcher of the Year. Good point. And, uh, you know, a couple of the other arms, they, they lost the two starters. Yeah, Zach Irwin. More than 100 innings for them. Uh, so that's, that, that is my question. They have some, some hitters. Uh, Eli White, uh, definitely at shortstop. That was a nice get because he was eligible as a sophomore as well. Right. Pretty crucial kind of re-recruiting really for Monty Lee. And Seth Beer coming in early, you know, was not expected necessarily, uh, but, mm. but he chooses to enroll early. So he is not out there on an island as much as, say, Bobby Dahlbeck in Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, will be, it will be interesting to see how teams attack that uh, attack that lineup and Chris Oakey specifically. Some pretty big pressure, I think, on, on Seth Beer to come in there and, and hit from day one. Uh, Clemson also, I know we're focusing more on the players and the teams, but not, they might have the feel-good story of the year if Clay Schmidt comes back and, and has a big year coming back from the, the cancer that affected him last year. Um, and then Zach Collins, 
I guess I'm just contrasting Oki to Collins in my head because Collins has so much help mm-hmm. in that lineup. Both guys have to get better defensively. I did have a scouting director the other day tell me that he thought that Sean Murphy of Wright State was far and away the best catch-and-throw guy in the country. And But even going deeper, again, like the four, five, and six catchers, Sean Murphy, Matt Feist, Trey Barrera, and seventh in our voting was Evan Skalg. All those guys are legit. Yeah. I mean, there's some real catching depth, so I think that's the right answer. Even, again, first base, not usually a position that you look for for college prospects, but K.J. Harrison not eligible this year. Hopefully, we'll be in the catcher section next year. I would love that because K.J. Harrison was a top 200 player as a high school catcher out of high school in, in Hawaii. But Peter Alonzo, second team, I like Peter Alonzo. This is a guy who I think probably flies as much under the radar as anybody in college baseball because he was hurt last year. Yeah. But when he hits it, it stays hit. I mean, he has the two longest home runs in the history of TD Ameritrade. Uh, he hit them both last year, and they both went a really long way. Yeah, 421. Was that the longest one? 421 that is, feet? That is the estimate, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and they only, it seems like the big question for Alonzo with scouts was he didn't have a great cape, especially from a power standpoint. He did not. So just seems like that's the one thing that he's – so he's going to really – I think if he hits for average and all that, that's fine. He needs to hit some home runs this spring because I think there's – and even if he does, I think there's always going to be that shadow of doubt for scouts. You see that zero underneath the home run column for him in the cape last summer. I mean, most important with Peter Alonso is staying healthy because he hasn't been able to do that at Florida so far. Yeah, the, what was it, the foot last year and the broken nose, I think, yes, both? Yeah. So I, I, I kind of like him. Paven Smith, again, not eligible, but if you – if I had to do a short list of top ten best pure hitters in college baseball – Haven Smith's on that for me. That guy can really, really hit. But even again, off the top three All-American team, J.J. Matichevic at Arizona, um, Will Craig, monster numbers. I'm a little bit surprised he came in fifth in the balloting, but again, a guy did not have a great cape. Well, the thing to remember about this two-way guy is he is a two-way guy, and I did put him on the ballot as a two-way guy because he's supposed to step into uh, Wake Forest's weekend rotation this year. If I had left him at first base where he played last year or third base where he probably will play this year, he probably uh, does better on the balloting. But as a two-way guy, there's... Two-way depth this year right. is, is exceptional as well. But yeah, Will Craig, Matichevic, uh, Preston Palmero, who uh, Peter Gammons yeah. uh, just today on on Twitter, you know, was talking about how uh, you know he thinks that Preston's swing is reminiscent of his father's. Understand? I love Preston Palmero's swing, but sorry, had to go there. <laughs> <laughs> this, it's just check it off the John Manuel Bingo box. Um, but th- th- those are in the just in the ACC. Two outstanding uh, first basemen, and I just—it wouldn't stun me if Will Craig put up just some monster numbers this year. Because Wake Forest plays in a very offensive ballpark; uh, they were second as a team in the ACC last year in batting. And, um, he was ACC Player of the Year, but like Peter Alonso, did not do well on the Cape. Never, never showed up in the way that that people were expecting him to after the spring he had had at Wake. And you'll hear this many times from me during the year as well. This is one more time where the Tennessee prep class of 2013 rears its head because it's on our All-America team both at first base, at third base with first-teamer Nick Senzel. Um, so, and, and Senzel went to Knoxville Farragut High. Will Craig went to Science Hill. They played each other in a high school game in 2011. You want to search our Baseball America archives. Connor Glassy and Nathan Rohde went to a 2011 high school game to go see Daniel Norris. Supposed to be Daniel Norris against Phil Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer was hurt, pulled out of the game, didn't pitch. 
but Norris pitched. Senzel and Craig were both in the game, and so was Nicky Delmonico. So those are all some big names. So uh, Senzel and Craig were sophomores. And then you have the 2013 Tennessee class of pitchers, which you probably all have heard, but I can I will say it again. I will salt you with it again. Dakota Hudson, Will Craig, Kyle Serrano, Hayden Stone. So those four guys plus uh, Will Craig and Nick Senzel, um, those guys are all going to be a factor in the 2016 draft, Teddy. But uh, I've already pronounced his name two different ways. Is it Senzel or Senzel? I believe it's Senzel, but this is this is an open question. Please it help is. me, Tennessee. I've looked before, and uh, I just need to remember it. I, I I don't know the answer, but I like uh, I like pronouncing it as if it rhymed with Denzel. That makes me that makes me smile a little bit. So I'm going to call him Nick Senzel until somebody tells me otherwise. It seems like the real issue with Nick <laughs> is um, where does he play? Because I think again on that short list of pure college hitters. He's number one pure hitter for me. Yeah, I mean, he probably would be. And in the previous years at, at UT, he's been the second baseman. He played third base, second base, and even some first base this summer on the Cape, primarily playing third base. Uh, Tennessee's going to push him to third base this year. But if you talk to scouts, uh, you know, when I did during my Cape rankings, uh, some people said, you know, let him play third base. Let, let's see. Some people said, you know, I liked him as an offensive second baseman. He was fine there. And some guys said, you know, just put him in left field, let him rake, just don't worry about the defense, send him out to the outfield. So it, it'll it be interesting to see. He's going to get more reps at third base. Guys are going to be bearing down on that this year. Uh, but one thing that we can expect of him is that he's going to hit. And he should hit for power. Uh, he's more of a more of a line drive approach, but the power is there. And that, that's another thing scouts are going to want to see. It's just how much does he unleash that? Because they see it in batting practice, and then during games, it doesn't show up as much, not because he can't, but because he, he's just all about spraying line drives all over the field. And that's really been, that, that, that is still the consistent uh, evaluation of him, I can tell you, this spring, is that you have, you have the second base camp, the third base camp, the left field camp. And I, I'll just throw this out there. I don't, I don't think it's matters that much in the grand scheme of things but Tennessee's produced a lot of big league third basemen Matt Duffy PCL MVP last year got to the big leagues with the Astros Joe Randa Chase Headley that's kind of a hot spot for Tennessee big league position players um I mean Tennessee volunteers so it wouldn't surprise me I think that scouts want him to play third base they would like to see if that's where Tennessee's going to play him they'd like to see him play well there so you don't have to move him that way you disrupt the bat the least. So, But if there's any disruption, any evidence that he can't play the infield, he's going to left field because scouts do believe in the bat. And that way he kind of fits what we talked about earlier with the college outfielders, uh, right. you know, the big league outfielders that come out of college. Um, the other third baseman was a pretty clear first place Senzel. Senzel? <laughs> Second place, Will Toffey. We know how to pronounce his name. Will Toffey's kind of a sleeper because I guess you don't always realize he's sophomore eligible. Continues the other theme, Teddy, that we haven't developed yet in this podcast, the hockey theme. Yes. Buddy Reed played high school hockey. Logan Shore, hockey guy, Minnesota. Uh, I don't know if A.J. Puck's a hockey guy. A.J. Puck uh, did not play hockey. He, he knows how to skate, but did not play hockey. But we got Bryson Brigman. That's the surprising one. Yeah. A <laughs> California kid playing hockey. And I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure Ryan Bolt played right. hockey coming from Minnesota as well. Um, so that's so. Th- there's this hockey theme, and stunningly, not many of those guys are left-handed hitters. Oh, and Jaron Kendall, Wisconsin. That's another one. Growing up in Wisconsin. So, so the the most I guess the the real surprising one is that Bryson Brigman 
who played so much amateur hockey that he restructured his middle school schedule to play club hockey. And he's from San Jose and did it in Los Angeles. Yeah, he's flying from... Uh, That's amazing. Flying down to L.A. every weekend. But most of, the, most of these hockey guys are left-hand hitters, but not that Bryson Brigham. That's always the, the Canadian hypothesis for why they can't produce right-handed hitters. It is. is that they all play hockey. So maybe, maybe this is poking some holes in that theory. And that's right. But maybe it's just Canada, not American hockey players. It could just be can- a Canadian thing I don't, that I wouldn't understand. Um, but there is this surprising hockey thread throughout our All-America team. Brigman's on our shortstop group um, moving from second base a tough act to follow moving from second base at USD last year to shortstop to take place of Kyle Holder and I loved Kyle Holder last year probably uh, irrationally so about his defense um, but it's not I mean, last year's shortstop group in college Teddy was just so unique and so good it just makes sense that we're going to take a little bit of a step back this year I would say it looks like we would more have a solid group of really good college shortstops rather than we have somebody who's going to be a big league regular at shortstop. I don't even know that Errol Robinson is going to be a big league regular at shortstop. He might be more from the Paul Janish school of utility guy slash good defender, but not necessarily going to hit enough to be a regular. There are some some questions there. I don't know about Paul Janish level impact, um, either both with the glove, because Janish is an incredible yeah. defender. And had a big arm, yeah. And has... Very little impact offensively, right? Uh, but Earl Robinson, um, you know, he he is the best of this group, and it is not like last year where there were so many first round college shortstops: Holder, Swanson, Bregman, Richie Martin, all those guys. Yeah, I mean, a guy like a Mikey White in this draft class as a college shortstop. Mikey and I, White might be first team All American if he yeah. back for his senior year. That's where I was. That's where I was headed. Yep, absolutely. That, that's how I'd see it. I mean, last year was just such a, and even in the fourth or fifth round last year, Drew Jackson, who yeah. had a great debut, th- those kind of tools. To looking at the ballot, there's not a Drew Jackson tools wise, really in that group. And the guy who I think, the two people who were the, the the disappointments, I guess I thought in the balloting were Ryan Howard and Garrett Hampson. And Garrett Hampson was the guy who was a little underwhelming last summer with Team USA. I thought he was a little twitchier, a little more athletic. Um, he looks more like a utility guy again. I really liked him out of high school in Reno, the, the Nevada guys. I'm partial to Nevada guys. Um, and then Ryan Howard, you know, was a 20th round pick last year. That said, wouldn't surprise me if he hit his way a little more into the conversation because he hit, I thought, I was very impressed with him. He was balanced last year at the plate. Showed me a little surprising pop and has, I, I thought, very steady Eddie at shortstop. So again, it's there are a lot of good college shortstops in this group, but I don't see a breakthrough talent. Do you? Yeah, I mean, Arrow kind of ran away with this, and then there were several guys that, that were getting votes in, in, in the mix. And I, I think one of the – Trevor Morrison at Oregon State is one of those guys. And if you're looking for yeah. breakthrough, it's at Oregon State potentially, and it's not Trevor Morrison. Right. Trevor Morrison might be getting shoved to third base or second base this year because they bring in uh, freshman Caden Grenier and Nick Madrigal, and both of those guys – were exceptional high school shortstops and are potentially electric players. I think the fact that none of us picked Nick Madrigal for preseason freshman of the year blew my mind. But at the same time, I picked Joe Demers as my preseason freshman of the year, and I love Joe Demers. So. I mean, I've said this before, and I'll probably be saying it a lot this season. Like I think this year's freshman group really is great. None of I them agree. are on this All-America team. Uh, but I, I think there was a lot of really exciting talent that got brought in. Maybe I'm biased because I did draft coverage last spring and I did the recruiting, but I, I think there's a lot of 
a lot of exceptional freshmen that, that we're going to be hearing from. No, I'm with you. And um, a lot of them are, are <laughs> two of the best ones are at Oregon State. Oregon State's, uh, it's not the deepest class, but those two guys, in terms of, especially in terms of 2016 impact, would not stun me if Grenier and Madrigal were both just monsters. And I'm almost surprised that nobody on the nobody voted for Madrigal and our among the scouting directors because they you can't know, stop talking I about him. Put him at uh, second base, uh, where nobody voted for him either. But we did have a couple of freshmen receive votes. Uh, at second yeah, Alonzo Jones, right? Alonzo Jones and uh, Jonathan India at Vanderbilt and at, and at Florida. Um, you know, both received second place vote or uh, second base votes. Yeah, that's uh, they didn't make the team, but they uh, they were among among the uh, receiving votes. Now we talked about the de- the depth among two way players. Let's let's focus on those guys because first off, all these guys are legit players for me. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck was the first team vo- uh, winner. You have Brendan McKay, who was our freshman of the year last year. Who really challenged Dahlbeck in the voting significantly? Yeah, it was, so it was very, very tight voting. Though. Nip and tuck there. Sheldon Noisy at Oklahoma. We've already mentioned Will Craig, Carmen Benedetti, Lucas Ursag, not Menlo, but was at Cal last year, and Luke and Baker again. Impact freshman. Um, this is a really good group of two-way guys, but Bobby Dahlbeck is probably the most fascinating guy in this year's draft. I mean, he is. There's some volatile guys. <laughs> There's some people who just saw him with Team USA and just dismissed him completely. But then when you saw him on the Cape, he started getting Chris Bryant comps. I mean, that's how crazy the split is with this guy. And, you know, Teddy, he didn't even have enough at-bats really to qualify for our Cape League list. But we had to put him on anyway because he led the league in home runs. He uh, he did qualify. Oh, he did qualify. He did qualify. I was kind of uh, edging towards hoping he wouldn't. Right, he right. Um <laughs> But yeah, he he uh, this summer he hit um, 16 home runs between the Cape and, and the college national team. He led both of those, uh, you know, and that's with taking that's leading the Cape in home runs with taking a month off to come play for Team USA. That's really amazing. But he also struck out in 41 percent of his Cape plate appearances. Also amazing. <laughs> and he struck out in 24.16 percent of his plate appearances in two years at Arizona, and. If he were to be a, that's that is a higher strikeout rate than any player drafted in the first round in the last ten years. Now he has a whole another season to try and bring that more in line. But the point is, Bobby Dahlbeck has exceptional power and swings and misses a lot. A lot. I mean, like at a at a very difficult pace to um, overcome. Historically, it's really the way that's. It is. But the the one thing that can be said for him. In, in terms of trying to fight the history of, of lots of swing and miss in, in first-round talents, is that he is a two-way guy. So once he gives up pitching, because he will not be doing that as a pro, there you can make the leap that he will in some way improve as a hitter when he doesn't have to think about pitching anymore. Uh, it, we'll, we'll see exactly how that goes, but you hear that a lot, especially about high school players where two-way is, is way more common. Uh, but I, I think you'll hear that about Dahlbeck as, as the spring goes on. No, I agree. Um, Noisy was outstanding as a freshman. The uh, sophomore slump last year. We'll see what kind of what what uh, what transpires for him playing shortstop and closing. It looks like for the Sooners, Brandon McKay just so steady. It was really steady excellence last year, Ted. I mean, he was just he seemed unperturbable 
for Louisville last year. I mentioned Crownover at Clemson was uh, ACC Pitcher of the Year, but frankly, Brendan McKay could have been Pitcher of the Year. Yeah, he had a better year. And uh, I, I think the coaches there went with the junior over the freshman because Brendan McKay was a freshman. But you know, he if you know if Louisville had to throw him on Friday nights, if Kyle Funkhauser had to come back, and Brendan McKay had to be their Friday night starter, that would have been great for them. Yeah, that, you know, there would have been no one at Louisville would have been like, oh, what are we going to do on Friday nights? It's Brendan McKay. I mean, exactly. He's great there, and you know, as a hitter, he's not quite as. Uh, you know, the, the stats weren't quite as exceptional, but they were very good. He he hits in the middle of their lineup, and, and he's a good college hitter there. really wouldn't surprise me, too, if by the end of his career he developed. He, he figured out, oh, that's a pitch I can really turn on. That's a pitch I can handle. And went from a 4-5 home run guy like he was last year to 8-12. to 12. Really wouldn't surprise me, and it wouldn't surprise me. And if that happens this year, Louisville's going back to Omaha. I mean, they have so many other pieces. That power piece is what they really didn't have last year, and you do kind of wonder, like, you know, the offense. I mean, Nick Solak, who got All-America votes, is back, and they have they have a lot of pieces offensively. But if Corey Ray and Brendan McKay take a little step forward power-wise, all of a sudden that goes from a team that, you know, you're outside of Ray, this whole base, you know, they really manufactured some runs last year. Sutton Whiting was a real table setter for them the last couple of years. Well, maybe they go to more of a power-oriented. They, if they add some power to what is already always – a very active offense, a lot of stolen bases, athleticism. Uh, that could be a really explosive offense, especially since McKay and Ray are taking up corner spots. Yeah, that you would you would ideally like to see more power from your corner spots, and so those two guys are, are guys that, that could step into bigger roles like that. One guy that doesn't need to add any power though is Luke and Baker. Yes, TCU. Well put. I mean, that's that's power both on the mound and at the and at the plate, and he's potentially. Uh, Freshman of the year this year, uh, certainly a candidate for that, and I was not surprised to see him get votes at all. And Benedetti, uh, really the first Big Ten player we've talked about in this. Now, last year was a history-making year for the Big Ten. We previewed it in the magazine and online before the season started, setting up how this was going to be a great year for the Big Ten. Thank you, Big Ten, for coming through and making us look good. I would say that the league probably poised to take a little bit of a step back it's, I think, difficult for a Northern League to have that kind of peak and sustain it. But um, So I don't see five regional teams five in the teams Big Ten. Five regionals is an awful lot. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. So, um, But Benedetti looks like a guy, obviously Michigan is the preseason favorite for us to win the, the Big Ten Conference. This guy, last year with, either with Jacob Cronenworth, to have two two-way players, that valuable and that good, uh, what a luxury for Eric Backich. And this year it really just seems like just reading the preview, like it's gonna be a matter of managing Benedetti's workload. They don't want to put too much on him, but last year it seemed like there was never enough. He he did whatever they needed him to do. Yeah, absolutely. He did not have to pitch a ton last year. He he was a, a member of the bullpen, but he wasn't closing because Cronworth was closing. And this year he might have to take on closing duties. But you know, he threw something like eighteen innings last year. Yeah, and I, I expect that number to creep up a little bit this year. Like offensively, he was a machine last yeah. year. Well, and the the thing is. Um, you know, with, with him and with Cronworth, it, there was a lot of question about, well, what are they? Right. You know, with, with a lot of these two-way guys, you know, we want them to ideally be uh, pro prospects, both at, at pitching and hitting, but a lot of them, you know which way they're going to go. Dahlbeck is not going to pitch as a pro. Uh, but with with those two, there are a lot of questions. I mean, you could look at Benedetti and say, you know, he throws left-handed, and he's been up to 95 in the past. I want that guy in my bullpen. Right. Or you could look at him and say, well, he's been a productive 
hitter uh, in college for several years, and he might have the athleticism to go play the outfield. He might not be limited to first base. I want that guy to hit. You know, I, I don't think there's a, a decision that, that's been made on this yet. And I know when Cronworth was drafted by the Rays, they drafted him as a shortstop. That is not the position he ever played for Michigan. Right. So, you know, the, both of them present versatility, and that, that's been key for, for Eric Backich and the Wolverines in the past, and it's going to continue to be that way this year. Yeah, he, he might uh, wind up being, like, most valuable of all these guys because he plays such a – I mean, Luke and Baker's in that mix for me as well. But those guys play such – outsized roles really in some ways for their teams um they have a lot of responsibility um not like the other guys don't because you're a two-way guy but Brendan McKay has support one of them you mentioned Kyle Funkhauser we'll wrap up by talking about the All-American pitching staffs Kyle Funkhauser a two-time first team All-American certainly not the way he planned it and Teddy was close and I think the scouts want to give Kyle Funkhauser the benefit of the doubt but to me, Puck and Hanson, very clear first-team All-Americans. After that, that group is, again, a little bit muddled, and I think it's going to be reflected of the draft. If I had to pick my two guys uh, who are most likely to take a big step forward, I would pick uh, Dalton Jeffries and Connor Jones. Jeffries went up second team, Jones third team. It's well-documented that, like, you know, to me, Connor Jones is the perfect Virginia pitcher he was doing the National Pitching Association kind of delivery stuff in high school, the stuff that Virginia does. It was a Virginia pitching style. Connor Jones has adhered to it since high school. He thrived with it in high school. He was the hardest thrower at the 2012 Under Armour All-America game among the high school pitchers. And he's been up to 97 during his college career. He's flashed a plus slider. He's shown you a plus changeup. At time, the fastball's plus because it's got real life to it and sync. Especially has that classic down and into the right-handed hitter with a two-seamer, down and away with the slider kind of action. That said, I think that there's the fact that he didn't pitch last summer at all, Teddy, either with the USA team or the Cape Cod League team, and that's the number one reason why he wound up being voted a third team or that, and the fact that it's just such a it's a really thin margin between all these pitchers. But if he wound up being the number two pitcher drafted in this class after Puck, that wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, he was supposed to come to Team USA, and then he just threw so much while Virginia was going through and, and winning the national championship that, that he shut it down completely. Uh, but yeah, him and Jeffries both, uh, you know, I like Don Jeffries a lot coming into the spring. Uh, as a pro prospect, he's a little undersized, but you know, he just knows what he's doing out there. And, right. And it's four really good pitches, great pitchability. Um, if guys can get over the fact that he's only six feet tall, and that's all they list him at, he might not even be that tall. Uh, you know he should be he should be a pretty good draft. Um, you know Eric Lauer at Kent State, who I probably have talked about a lot and will continue to talk about. But good pick to click. Yeah, I mean he's he's like the delivery is just so free and easy. I mean it really is like the textbook left-handed delivery. Right, and and he has track record too. Scouts saw him and liked him out of high school. They've seen him and liked him in the in summer leagues. Liked him at. Uh, Kent State, it sounds like the big issue for him is just a little more consistent velocity. There's some days where you see him, Scouts told me, and then he'll be cruising in there at 89-92 and pop that forward. When they see that with his pitchability, the clean arm, fresh arm, they are all in on Eric Lauer. That's how he's a second-team All-American. But just a couple times where guys have seen him where it's more like 88-90 to and touch a two where he's just not pitching with a firm enough fastball, and that's 
that really seems to be the only uh, you know, negative that anybody mentioned for Eric Lauer in my discussions. But he is a guy that is consistently, I think he's probably the safest pick, seen as the safest pick in this draft. I didn't ask about this comp, but he almost reminded me, the way guys were talking about him, almost reminds me of Mikey Miner back when he was at uh, Vanderbilt as a command guy, clean arm, good body. You just want to see him pitch consistently with his best stuff more often. It doesn't have to be every time. And he's already shown he knows how to pitch when he doesn't have that premium stuff. But I think he's a great call. Everybody likes Eric Lauer. I think they're just some more distance will take one team to find a reason to really love him to step up and take him. But he has a chance to be a single-digit pick, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's he the track record's there, like you mentioned, on the Cape in high school. You know, it's and, true and, four pitches. And what they do at Kent State with Mike Birkbeck uh, as their pitching coach, uh, you know, that it's exceptional. Yep. Lauer's definitely benefited from working with him. I guess the only other caveat I'm looking through my notes uh, one of the scouts mentioned they're able to see a little more power to the curveball. The curveball's probably his fourth pitch, a little bit more of an early count pitch than it is a finish you off pitch. But the slider, the changeup, both above average. He's a great call. You know, the kind of the other X factor, I wasn't sure if you were going to mention him or not, but Cal Quantrill. Right. Um, it sounds like really, if you've seen Cal Quantrill at his best, his best has been better than anybody else in this class. Now, obviously, he missed last year with Tommy John surgery. He probably won't be really full blast 100% till April. But at his best freshman year for Cal Quantrill, he's screaming at Indiana when he's bidding them in the regional. Well, that probably wasn't his best. But he pitched his best in that regional, um, dominating a lineup in the opener that had Schwarber and Travis. And then about a month later, he's pitching down the USA National Training Complex, pitching for the Coastal Plain League All-Star Select Team, against the college national team of 2014 that had, you know, Kristen Stewart and Bregman and Dansby Swanson wasn't there yet. But, you know, those kind of guys, I don't even, think, I don't even know if Bregman was there yet either. But that 2014 uh, group for the college national team, that had a decent amount of first-round picks, and he shut them down. He was outstanding. So his best, according to the scouts I talked to, is the best of anyone in this class. But you, you, you put the big league uh, bloodlines together with that, good body, if he comes out healthy this year and can give you seven to nine really quality outings, he's going to shoot toward the top of this group. And there, there are two underclassmen that are definitely worth mentioning as well uh, with Alex Lane and Tanner Houck. And you know, with the directors doing this, they don't always have underclassmen on their mind uh, as much. Alex Lane makes the team. Tanner Houck doesn't quite make the cut. Uh, I don't know if the underclass played into that at all for Houck, but... Probably so. I mean, there are there are just so many good pitchers right now. It's it's a tough group to 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 fit into. But you know, Lane goes twelve and zero as a freshman <laughs> and a sub two ERA, and it's going to be hard to improve on that. But yeah, I mean that if he doesn't even improve on it, if he just repeats, um, you know that that's exceptional uh, for LSU. And, and Tanner Houck uh, pitched with Team USA last summer and looked very very good coming out of Missouri. Quick. Uh, arm, loose arm, um, and Alex Lang. <laughs> Hard to pick a player I've been more wrong about. That guy was a beast last year. And just I keep talking to scouts ever since last year and just last week about how I didn't think Alex Lang coming out of Summit's Mill High School, I guess at least Summit High School I think it is in, uh, in, in Missouri, just didn't think that this guy was going to be a dude. Yeah, I heard he had a terrible spring draft-wise. 
as a high school senior and every scout keeps saying the same thing. Yeah, he learned from that. This guy grew up in a hurry. Great coaching by Alan Dunn, at, uh, the pitching coach at LSU. But moreover, just the maturity that Alex Lang, he deserves all the credit for that, Teddy. And this guy, because he had the breaking ball. He just flashed it in high school. Man, he put it all together last year. Just a, It was a tour de force for him last summer. The, last the incredible thing about that is LSU had the number one recruiting class in the country that year. And included in that are, are pitchers like Mac Marshall, Jake Godfrey, and Jake Latz. And those guys... Uh, have not been factors at all. Mark right. Marshall got he to gone. campus and transferred almost immediately to Chipola, and now he's off playing with the Giants. Uh, Astros. Oh, no, Giants. You're right. Didn't sign with the Astros. That's right. Good call. Uh, and then Jake Godfrey he pitched gone. last year, but he couldn't really break through. So, yeah, he transferred this year. He's in junior college now. And Latz has just been completely unable to stay healthy. He's hurt again. And, uh, you know, he should be uh, be able – the idea is he'll be able to pitch at some point this spring, but they don't know exactly what to expect of him yet. But to this point, he's become like the junior partner from his high school to Mike Papersky as a right. catcher, which yeah. is which was unexpected. I mean, I, I, we liked Papersky out of high school, but Latz was supposed to be the impact guy of the duo and uh, hasn't been healthy enough to make an impact. But Lang has been the guy from that recruiting class who's kind of shouldered that burden. And I know you guys talked about in the podcast last week, but Poche and Lang – there's some great college pitching duos out there, but they're in the mix for number one um, among those duos. But uh, as you mentioned, the underclassmen, uh, pretty pretty interesting group there. Uh, anyone off the voting grid who really uh, uh, kind of jumps to mind for you, Teddy, is a guy who could be a breakthrough candidate? I mean, I've heard some good things, some good fall reports on Kyle Cody. I have a nice feature on the Kentucky Kyles coming up in the next issue. By the way, as an aside, <laughs> this is the stupidest tangent probably ever. But how dumb is it? So KFC, first of all, <laughs> first of all, they have Norm McDonald doing commercials as Colonel Sanders. That's just weird. But Teddy, Nashville chicken is their new thing right now. Last I checked, Nashville, not in Kentucky. And yeah, we've both been to Nashville in the last six weeks or so. Exactly. Uh, why on earth? Why on earth would KFC name this chicken product Nashville chicken? What the hell is that? That's just been bothering me for days. Okay, sorry, I got that off my chest. Kyle Cody at Kentucky, I think he's going to be pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't would not surprise me if he had a Bafo senior season. Yeah, him and Zach Brown, uh, his teammate. Another good tandem. Absolutely. And uh, you know, for me, it, it's uh, Matt Crook and Garrett Williams, two left-handers. Crook coming off of TJ, uh, obviously was a supplemental pick of the Marlins a couple years ago, and. Uh, didn't sign after uh, medical revealed some stuff. I like your picks better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and Garrett Williams um, has been a star since Little League World Series, or been on the been on the map yeah. since he was a star at the Little League World Series. And he hasn't put it together for Oklahoma State. His command has been pretty terrible uh, for the Cowboys. Bordering on terrible. He was a little better on the Cape, still, still struggled with command, but reportedly this fall was way better. And if, if he can sustain that, uh, not only would that give him a major boost, because these are directors have seen him have amazing track record with yep. him going back to high school. And not only would that happen, and it would be positive for him, but it would really give the Cowboys a bona fide starter uh, and, and a star in the rotation after they lose Big 12 pitcher of the year, Michael Freeman. Yeah, that's, uh, those are great calls. Uh, a couple of left-handers, again, big-time guys. Guys, both co- scouts have such long track records with both players. 
that if they broke through, all they really need is the one really big year of college performance. If they just show some consistent ability to throw strikes, those guys are going to go off the board in a hurry. Um, and there, there are some nice left-handers um, in college baseball. Those are two of the intriguing ones. We mentioned Jared Poche before as well. Um, even John Kilikowski at, uh, at Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, we haven't mentioned the Vanderbilt pitchers. Uh, Teddy, they replaced their – it's a good place to end. They replaced the, you know – Two first-rounders we just talked about uh, earlier in Fulmer and Walker Bueller. Uh, Bueller. I haven't pronounced his name right in three years either. Uh, why start now? But between Kyle Wright, Ben Bowden, Sheffield, Kilachowski, they've got multiple options. Um, and Tim Corbin has not been afraid of, and with pitching coach Scott Brown, of changing guys' roles during the year if they have to, famously in 2014 with Carson Fulmer. Uh, if you had to pick one, pick the click there. I know you're somewhat partial to the Sheffield family since you rank uh, his older brother in the uh, Indian system, uh, Justice. But if you had to pick between Jordan Sheffield, Kyle Wright, Ben Bowden, uh, which of those guys do you think breaks out for Vanderbilt this year? Well, there that's an interesting question. Uh, Sheffield and, and Bowden both made the team. Bowden made it as a, uh, as a reliever, mm-hmm. uh, which is where he's been primarily in the past. But he he has not never been a one inning guy, and maybe that's the guy. Um, you know, Jordan Sheffield is an incredible talent, but we're talking about strike guys having problems throwing strikes. He is definitely that guy. He and, probably is the hardest thrower out of all these guys, not named Berkey. We haven't mentioned Nick Berkey, yeah. but I mean, I think Sheffield's probably the most consistent ninety six to ninety eight guy. Well, and Hanson, as you mentioned. Well, and Vanderbilt has Donnie Everett, uh, huh, freshman yeah. too, and. Um, and Chandler Day in their rotation mix. And so picking three arms out of that for, for Vanderbilt is like they, somebody asked me this in, in, in my top 25 chat. Is that the most starting rotation depth in college baseball with Sheffield, Bowden, Wright, Kilichowski, Everett, and Day? And my answer is maybe, but Florida has, yeah. can make the, a pretty similar case. But the point is that Pretty much no matter how Tim Corbin and Scott Brown go about that, they're going to they're going to be fine with it. If they can't find three guys out of those guys to pitch well enough to be consistent starters, we'll all be stunned. So the the, the savvy money would be on Vanderbilt being very very good again I mean, that, that's uh, with that pitching. That, that's kind of you know we we did touch on this last week as well. I mean that's why they're the number seven team in the country because. Yes, or despite the fact that they lost everyone, is that they have these guys. It's just they haven't pitched in these exact roles. And there will be a learning curve for them, undoubtedly. Uh, but, you know, with Scott Brown there and Tim Corbin, they've always figured it out. And they bring in incredible recruiting classes with Travis Jewett leading that up for them. And they're going to figure it out again. It's just a matter of when. I think if, if I had to pick one of those guys who's the most likely, I think Kyle Wright might be the best athlete of those three guys. The combination of size, clean arm, athleticism. If I had to pick one of their guys, that's the guy I'm picking to break out. He's my breakout potential guy. The thing is, he's been so valuable in a relief role for them. It's going to be hard when you have all these other starting options to give him those innings. So it's, yeah. he and hey, they had a first round pick reliever a few years back in Casey Weathers. So right. I think it's it's happened for them before as well. So um, plethora of options for Vanderbilt once again and. You know, stop us if you've heard that one before. Um, Teddy, la- last but not least, I-, I never mentioned the relievers before. You did mention Ben Bowden, uh, voted third team. Zach Birdie, Zach Jackson. That was a little bit surprised. I thought that Zach Jackson was going to 
outpaced Zach Birdie. Uh, but for one inning, it's hard to beat a birdie. Uh, those guys come out and they blow cheddar. Uh, both Zick, Nick and Zach uh, have done it. And uh, Nick Birdie, I mean, Zach Birdie gave Louisville its third uh, first-team All-American as the reliever. Yeah, and it was a consensus pick. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I thought I went into this expecting Zach Jackson to be the first-team reliever. Uh, both Birdie and Jackson were on Team USA, both pitched in relief, both pitched very well in relief, along with Ryan Hendricks, who didn't make the team, uh, but but did receive votes. And, you know, Birdie, I mean, it's 99. There's yeah. a lot to life there. Uh, and he does it a little cleaner than his brother, which means he should be able to throw more strikes than his brother. Um, and, you know, comparisons to his brother are inevitable because they are very similar as players. It's not just that they share a last name. Zach Jackson uh, gives Arkansas a big arm at the back of the pen if they want it, but they are also considering putting him in the rotation. Right. Uh, and if uh, when, when he gets picked uh, this spring, it's possible that the Major League team that picks him will put him in the rotation regardless of what Arkansas does. And ditto for, for Ben Bowden. Uh, Zach Birdie more likely to just stay in the bullpen. He is the most bullpenny of all these guys, no doubt about that. Uh, I just made up a word. But that's okay. Uh, that's what podcasts uh, can be all about. So um, this was fun, Teddy. Uh, we got to do this more often. The first time we've done a podcast together, I think it went swimmingly despite my KFC digression. <laughs> but you've laughed at it twice now, which I appreciate. I'm not sure if you've laughed with it or at it, but it really has been bothering me. It just doesn't make any yeah. sense. It's, it's frustrating. So um, they must be college baseball fans because uh, Nashville certainly gets it done. Well, uh, college baseball wise. Chicken. See, again. It should be a thing. It should have been a thing. Uh, I just don't get it. Uh, we'll, the Young Center there. The KFC, it is theirs. Good grief. They missed the chance for some real synergy. Uh, I, I'm going to guess that Norm McDonald being Canadian threw them off a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm blaming it on. Sorry, Alexis. Um, great, uh, great college baseball talk. We'll have plenty more of it during this year uh, here at BaseballAmerica.com. And what drops next week, Teddy, in terms of our college baseball coverage I believe next week the All-America team drops uh, which day? Uh, well, this this is Monday, and you should be listening to this Monday. We record this Friday. Hopefully, uh, We're smart enough to do this on Monday. Yeah, hopefully this drops Monday with the All-America team and a feature on those uh, three first-team All-Americans out of Florida. And then we start in with conference previews uh, that run over the next couple of weeks. Uh, this week you'll see uh, ACC, SEC, Big 12, Pac-12, and several other conferences as well. Uh, and there will be uh, some features mixed in there. Bryson Brigman, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's Bedlam rivalry, um, and the uh, Cody Funkhauser piece that, that John alluded to earlier. Yeah, the Kentucky Kyles. I like that one. Uh, now, have we figured out um, where you're going yet for opening day, or do you not quite know that yet? Uh, I believe I am headed to Myrtle Beach to see Virginia, defending national champions against Kent State, there are a lot of scouts who are going that one to that one to see Connor Jones, Eric Lauer. Yes. Uh, North Carolina State, also in that tournament, and App State, and I don't remember who the fifth team is. But that that looks good, and uh, Nebraska is visiting College of Charleston that weekend, so I may, uh, I may uh, head down to Charleston that weekend as well. I believe uh, you and uh, the HUDBOT, Hudson Belinsky, and uh, some other people from BA are all going to be down there. It's going to be... Well, there's also, I believe Hudson is excited about Dalton Jeffries coming to the East Coast. And right. He, uh, he might be sticking around to see Dalton Jeffries take on Bailey Clark over, over the Duke. Yeah. Okay, nice. And That's we got um, Sean Murphy uh, at Wright State come in. 
uh, spend some time in North Carolina in the first week of the season. And, and I believe uh, on the West Coast, isn't that where I think UCLA plays North Carolina opening yes. weekend? So there's some great opening weekend matchups, not just here, obviously all the way, all the way around the country. As usual, we'll be, we'll be there, uh, Baseball America. If we're not there in person, we'll be there in spirit and covering college baseball all the way through June and 24-7, 365. We've got more people than ever to do it. Very happy to be doing this with Teddy Cahill and uh, hope that you enjoyed it listening here on this Baseball America podcast. So for Teddy, I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.